The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, my guest is Regina Radomsky, author of From Half to Whole, A Journey to Overcome the Battle Scars of Adoption and Living to Tell About It. With five-star reviews, From Half to Whole is a raw and honest look at a family's struggle to adopt and raise two young boys who came to America with a few stuffed toys and a history of trauma. You can find Regina online at reginaradomsky.com. And I'm sure we'll tell you more about that later. Right now, I'd like to say hello to Regina. Hi, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. How are you? I'm fine. It's great to have you here. Thank you. So you're talking today about something that I have never done. I thought about doing it, but I never did it. How did you get started along this road? Well, our adoption was almost 10 years ago. um, And as I was going through it, the years were very difficult in the beginning. And there were so many things, even being a parent beforehand, um, I was struggling with. So as I came out of the chaotic state that I was in for quite a few years, I started to think about things that could have made life easier. And as I was researching that and talking to people, I came up with a lot of different things that I just felt really would empower parents if they knew some of it beforehand. Not that we can solve every issue and get every household running completely smoothly, but this would give some insight into what you're going, you may face in the future and give you a handle on some of it and teach strategies to parents beforehand on how to become empowered and how to reduce the stress during these chaotic times. I probably should have mentioned that in the introduction, that one of the things you do now is offer a program that gives adoption support before, during, and after the adoption process, yes. which is awesome because agencies place a child, they stay with you a little while, and then they go away. Yes. But I'm curious, you already had a child as your child, and why did you decide to adopt two more? Well, we were really missing the whole family unit, and I wasn't getting pregnant. Uh, I came from a family of six, and so I always had a lot of brothers and sisters around me, and we wanted that for our son. So as time went on and things weren't happening for us, we turned to adoption, and we were placed with uh, Poland. And it worked out perfectly because my husband is Polish and I'm Italian, so the boys really do look like my husband, and it's it's hard to tell if you didn't know. Oh, that's great. 
So how old were the boys when they came to your family? The two boys were five and seven, and they were biological brothers. So they knew each other, which really helped. But they had trauma and things that were going on in their life that were a little more intense because they were older children and they weren't babies that didn't really know life at that point. Right. Had they always been together? Because they were brothers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's a real plus. Yes. So what were some of the challenges? What happened in your family as you took these children in? Well, we were not realizing how hard it was going to be with us not speaking Polish and them not speaking English. So we tried to learn Polish quite often for about a year, a year and a half before we went to Poland and we were failing miserably. My husband actually was doing a little bit better than me, but um, it was tough. And so we had someone come to the house during the summer when they came and she was Polish and she helped us quite a lot. She was pretty much at my beck and call, which was a very big help. And she would translate for us. But as the summer went on, they started to understand English. But we thought that they really understood English because they could speak and hold conversations. But as we started to learn, conversational English is much different than comprehension. So there was a big struggle with that for quite a few years in their life when they were in school. And that was an issue that we weren't, you know, up on because we had a child from our biological son, you know, was born to us and we didn't have to deal with any of that and we didn't understand it. So if we were smarter and realized in the beginning, we would have left them back a year when they came because they were in kindergarten and second grade. We should have left them back and had them repeat those years because developmentally they're not their age and language-wise they're far behind. And then they're trying to, you know, comprehend the English and they're still not understanding the Polish and there's nobody speaking Polish to them all that much. And so they're trying to understand the English and they they think they're doing good and we're thinking they're doing good, but it's definitely a pitfall in their lives. So that that was really hard for them. I would imagine that that's hard. <laughs> that's hard for the immigrant children that I've known who came with their own and moms and dads and spoke their own language at home. It's it's still tough learning English in a school environment and, and also trying to learn the content of what they're trying to teach you. Right. Plus, they have the trauma of their life that they're still trying to sort out. They don't understand what's going on. You know, there's no one there to really guide them and explain it and, you know, someone they trust. They're, they're thrown into a house where they're, well, I don't know if thrown is, the thrown is not the right word, but they're brought into our family and they may feel like they're thrown into it, but we don't, you know, we're not introducing them into the family that way. But for them, they're looking at things completely different than we are. Yeah. And there's a gap. We don't understand them and they don't understand us and it's very difficult. Got it. So possibly I should not focus so much on your specific family because you've worked with a lot of families who are adopting children from abroad. So maybe just more generally, what what have their lives been like prior to adoption? What brings these kids to a point where they need a family to adopt them? Oh, there's so many different stories. You know, there's it, it, it's just sad. Um, 
there's a lot that goes on out there, and you know, on our end, we try to do the best we can for them and bring them into our houses. And you know, they're not equipped. The children aren't equipped to explain what they've been through, and we're not equipped to understand it all. And that's that's you know something that's been really tough. And it brings us to our knees. I know I've, you know, there's there's women who have just cried and cried and cried because there's such an unknown and why don't they understand and how come we don't understand them and, and that's, you know, very difficult. And, you know, I'm not able to help with everything, but what I plan on doing with these programs is helping the parents look at different things and come up with more stable answers so that they're not fighting in front of the kids or fighting amongst themselves when the kids come. This way some of these things are figured out already and they won't have to struggle with them. They'll already be set. They'll know the answers on what they're going to do and they'll be able to move forward quickly and, and easily. That makes sense to me. I'm still a little uncertain about what sorts of traumatic experiences are in the background. Are these kids who were born to unwed mothers and they've spent their lives in orphanages? Are they kids whose parents died in an automobile accident when they were four years old? What's the background? On people that I'd be helping? Um, anybody. Any, anything. You know, there's it's it's wide open you know the what i've dealt with so far is children coming out of orphanages okay do kids coming out of orphanages and being placed for adoption yeah. uh are i didn't phrase that right are they usually kids who've spent their whole lives in an orphanage or only part it could be either it, it could be either okay so there's a pretty good variety. Yeah, it's, but, it's a variety. There's no one um, set way that this has happened. It, there's been so many different situations. Mm-hmm. I noticed that you're a blogger for the New Jersey chapter. Oh, you're actually the chapter coordinator for the Polish Adoptive Parents Association. Is that correct? Yes, and I blog for Empowering Parents, which is part of Total Transformation. Okay. So have you worked with kids who were adopted from a variety of other countries also? At this point, I've pretty much worked with Polish adoptions. Um, That seems to be the group that's come to me at this point, but I'm, I'm open to anyone. Okay. And what do you do, uh, to help parents get ready? You mentioned a little bit about that. Tell me more about how you help parents get ready when they're expecting the arrival of children they plan to adopt. Yeah, um, what what I'm working with them on is just getting themselves aware of different things like the bedtime routines and, and things that they may not think about. Their daily life goes on and they're used to what they do, but then when this child comes into the house, there's traditions that they may not see eye to eye on. So say, you know, I used to always sit at the dinner table for dinner, but say my husband didn't. There can be a conflict there. Like, why do I have to be at the the dinner table? Why don't you guys just sit down and eat and not worry about me? Well, these children are coming to this country and to your household to find a stable home, and that's what you're hoping to give them. 
So if you're arguing about those types of things, you know, sometimes the arguments happen in front of them or behind closed doors, but there's an argument, and it, it gives an unsettlement to the family dynamic. And if you can work on those things beforehand and just have conversations about them, like who's going to get up in the morning and, and bring the kids to school if, if that's necessary, if they're not going on a bus, or who's going to be home to do homework, and when are we going to do the homework? Who's going to be there to do the bath time rituals? Who's, you know, is, is it mom or dad, or is it, you know, not going to be done every night? Is it going to be done after dinner? Is it going to be done before dinner? And how are consequences going to be handled? Those types of things, chores, like who's going to do the chores? Does mom do does everything in the house, or is dad going to help, and are the children going to be involved? Um, working those things out beforehand and having that conversation can really help the, the family dynamic. Is that ordinarily something that a, a mom and dad-to-be can work out well on their own as long as they know that that's something that they should think about and they should make a plan? No, or do they so, do but sometimes? I don't know that everybody thinks of that. There are, fam- there are people that think of that, but it's not really part of the conversation beforehand. I see. I'm just wondering whether once uh, people get in touch with you and you tell them, you should have these conversations. You should make these decisions. Do they do fine on their own? Do they sometimes contact a family therapist or a family mediator to help them make their plan? Well, I'm a life coach, so I would work with them through the um, programs. We have I have a three month, six month, and a year program. Oh, okay. So I Excellent. work with them through that because I'm a life coach on top of um, adoption transition. So, You're a busy lady. Yes. So I would work with them during this. I would have calls with them during these program times, and we would work these things out. I have everything, you know, written out and sheets that they would work off of and things like that. Okay, so that sounds like really very good supportive guidance. Thank you. Yeah. So, bedtime routine, homework, dinner routine, those are things, and there are other things that you mentioned, and I imagine mm-hmm. others in your program sheets, right. that are good to plan about in advance. Uh, how much is it possible for parents to plan what they're going to do, how they're going to communicate to the kids, you know, maybe you're supposed to make your bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. This is this is what we expect you to do, and these are the consequences if you don't do it. How on earth do you do that when they speak Polish and you speak English? Well, that's when we had the translator. You know, like you, and when you start out, and the children are new in your home, you don't work on those types of things. Um, it's just too much. First, you need to really show them the love and the care that you have for them, and work help them work through the fears that they're going to have when they come in. So the chores and things like that are something that you bring in to the table later on. It's not something you do in the beginning. But to set like the bedtime routines and the homework routines and that type of stuff is good in the beginning because they do need schedules and they do need to know consistency. So that that part of it you would work on and the chores and things like that. You can have them do little things in the beginning, but the consequence part is also something you've got to work on slowly, and that's where the total transformation comes in in helping with that. I have two programs that I work with. Um, one is called Getting Through to Your Child, and the other one is Two Parents, One Plan, and they help you 
start looking at these things in more, for lack of a better word, a business type of attitude where you'll, if, if the child does something very wrong and you do need to give consequences, getting through to your child will teach you to eight steps that you work with and you talk in a very business-like arena so that, that you can come across to them as, you know, not screaming, not yelling, that type of thing. Um, and you learn to work with that, and you're also learning that when the child's not responding to it, you know how to, they teach you how to take a break from it and, you know, come back at another time and that type of stuff. And then there is another program that works on consequences, too. Okay. Gina, let's talk about the other program after we take a short break. Sure. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. 
You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radioshow at collinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, my guest is Regina Radomsky, the author of From Half to Whole, A Journey to Overcome the Battle Scars of Adoption and Living to Tell About It. You can find her on Facebook at Fillin' in the Blanks. And Fillin', by the way, is F-I-L-L-I-N with an apostrophe at the end instead of a G. You have to look up Fillin' in the Blanks that fill in the blanks that way if you want to find it on Facebook, because otherwise you'll find something different. And you can also find her online at ReginaRadomsky.com. Before the break, we were talking about some of the programs you offer, Regina, to help families with the transition when they are adopting children, in your case, generally from an orphanage in Mm -hmm. Poland, but I imagine that a lot of the same principles apply elsewhere. Um, I interrupted you telling about another one of your programs, so why don't we go there? Um, Yes, uh, once we get involved in teaching the parents how to work with the child in, a, in an easier way, we also start looking at the household and we look at streamlining the household because a lot of stress can come when, you're, when your counter's a mess or you can't get dinner done in time and you can't find things. So that's another aspect of what we work on. And I work with a, a woman... Um, that's a very dear friend of mine. Her name is Evelyn Cucciera, and she's from the Toy Tamer. And she has taught me over the years, through my chaotic time in the life, in my life, um, how to just let some of this stuff go, or how to work with it in a much easier, streamlined way. And these tips have really worked in reducing stress in my house. And so. Working with her, she just—I have a few tips that we work on with parents that have really helped, and I'd like to share a few of them if I can. That would be great. Okay, um, little great. things that become undone in your household or become overwhelming can just simply be handled in different ways to make it easier. And one thing is just like when you're on your email and you have tons of unsubscribed emails coming in, and you know you just don't want them; they're all spam. She says, put on a timer for five minutes and just go through the emails and you probably can get 20 to 30 of them done in that amount of time and you'll be done. You know, you do it like once a week or once a month and you'll make such a difference in your in-bin and you will just not find that so frustrating because sometimes those little things just eat at you. And another practice that I have that I really feel helps me when I'm really stressed out is I ask myself the question, will it matter in 10 minutes, 10 hours, or 10 years? And if it's not going to matter in that amount of time, usually 10 minutes, if you know it's not going to matter in 10 minutes, the rest doesn't matter, um, you're able to let it go. And, you know, sometimes we just wear ourselves down with this stuff, and it be, it becomes the such a burden on our shoulders that it eats at us, so we snap easier and we yell quicker. And we really don't want to do that. And I I know what I lived, and I know how hard it was for me at times to not scream. And through 
through time, I learned these different things, and they really helped. Um, another practice is if you have a lot of things to do, instead of writing a list and, and losing it, you can just put it in your phone. Just pick a day where you want to um, sit down and do the bills. Just type it into your phone, put it in your calendar. And it can be in a day or a week or whatever, but it'll be in your phone. It'll ring and make you aware of it. And, you know, you'll be able to do it. If you can't do it at that moment, you can easily reschedule it. Another problem that, you know, we always have in our houses when we have kids is the playroom. The playroom is such a a mess all the time, and we always end up being the ones cleaning it up, and we get frustrated with that. So her idea for that is to just get a box and label it with a picture and a label for the children, and then they'll be able to play the game of, oh, this looks like the picture on the box, and they'll be able to throw it into the box. And that in itself will help because it will be a fun game for them. And in the meantime, you're getting the benefit of the playroom being cleaned up. Nice. I like it. Yeah, isn't that a great one? I, I love that one. That's great for any family, with yeah, or without adopted kids. If you've got kids, that's yeah. a good one. <laughs> Another one that works really well for us is, you know, when you have soccer practice on a Monday and it's Sunday night and you forget about it and, and you have to get the cleats and the equipment out and, you know, or you're it's 7 o'clock in the morning the bus is outside and you're running and you forget that stuff. Make up little pictures, either from your camera, take pictures of it, or cut out of magazines and cut the pictures out and put them on felt or foam and then put a magnet on the back so that, like I have a steel door that goes out to the garage the way the kids go out. We just put them on the door the night before so that when you're walking out, you see the picture of the cleats and the equipment and you don't have to think twice about it. You know, you know where they are and you just get out the door with them so that that stuff's not forgotten and you're not running to the school because things are forgotten. And then what one that helped me tremendously, and I still do it to this day, is when I have to make sandwiches for everybody, I have three boys, so I was making six sandwiches for a, a day because they they're growing boys. They're 17, 18, and 16 now, so they eat two sandwiches. So I just lay out all the sandwiches at night, and I make them once a week, sometimes twice a week, depending. But... Um, I just lay them all out, I make all the sandwiches, and I label them and put the the sandwiches that are needed tomorrow on the shelf on the top of the refrigerator and the rest go on the bottom. So in the morning, we just have to grab the three sandwiches, the six, the six sandwiches for the three of them, and put them in their bags, which are already on the table. And my pantry is set up so that everything that I need for their lunch bags is right there. I grab the bag, I grab the water, I grab the chips, I grab the bars, I put it on the table at each of their place settings, and then in the morning the sandwich goes right in. And then the cereal bowls are also out and their vitamins are out. So at night everything's set, and literally that whole process takes me 15 minutes. And I'm set for three nights. So um, that's been a real time saver, and sometimes I do it during the commercials while I'm watching TV, and it saves me from having to make sandwiches every single night and figuring out what to make and what to do, and this way it's all done. And literally making those six sandwiches take less time than making one sandwich for one night. You know what I mean? Almost, yes. I'm sorry. That's still, I almost know what you mean. It still sounds like a lot of sandwiches. I told my kids, hey, you want a sandwich for lunch? You better make your own. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, my kids have been so busy with sports and everything, so I I know some people have said that to me too, but I just feel that I should make it for them just because they've got such busy, busy schedules. They leave at 6.30 in the morning. They get up at 6.30 in the morning. They leave at 7, and sometimes with football practice or um, working out, they don't get home until 6 at night. So they got to do homework, and then they just want to veg out. So. Got it. Yeah, what's right for one family is not necessarily going to be right for right. another Right. And you know what? Family, I don't try to tell all the parents I know that they should do it my way. Right, right. And you know, once we talk through the programs and we're working together, you know, we figure out exactly what's right for your family. It's it's not a cookie cutter program at all. Okay. I'm kind of wondering about the period of transition at the beginning of the adoption. Uh, it happens that I've done uh, quite a bit of research about attachment issues, mm-hmm. and I know that kids, for for a lot of kids coming from orphanages, the ability to form a loving, trusting bond with a parent figure is compromised. It's as if yeah. they come out emotionally handicapped about about human relationships in a way. So I have a couple questions about that. I I wonder, for one thing, you're talking about young children getting adopted. Is it very important that almost all of the time for at least the first three months after they arrive, one of the parents should be available in the home with them? Yes, I find that important, and I wrote about that in my book, that you know, in this day and age, so many companies let you work from home. Not all of them, unfortunately, and they don't give you as much leave as we need. But um, I think it's important. I've stayed home all these years, and it wasn't always fun. Believe me, there was days I wish I was at a job and I was told I couldn't leave because of trouble. But, um, you know, it is. The stability at home is so important, just like the dinner table. I feel the dinner table is one of the most important things you can do for your family. And, you know... My mother-in-law said to me at one time, and I really, this hit me like a ton of bricks, was she said, you know, people go out to work and then they stay there till 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock and the children get out of school earlier and then they go into a daycare. And a child coming out of an orphanage, to them, it's just being pushed aside again. It's not giving them the security that they need. And if the child is left home, they're also left to their own abilities and their own ideas. So they'll get on the computer and they'll do things and the world then just opens up to them and you don't know who, who's getting to them. So, you know, even though we may have the best intentions that we're going to work to keep the family going, money-wise and all of that, um, it's it may be doing these children some disservice at that point because they're being pushed from pillar to post, and they're not getting home until later, so they're not sure of things. Now, just one example, and this is a little bit different topic, but my son, we had put him in homework club after school, not thinking anything of it. You know, we said, well, it'll be extra help for him to get his homework done. It's a great thing. It was twice a week. Well, he was always showing up at home on the normal bus, 
and the school was calling, and they're like, he didn't show up again, and and I didn't know where he was, and then he'd walk in the door, and it took three months for us to finally get him to open up and tell us he was scared to go to homework club because if he got on that second bus, the bus driver might not know where he lived. And it was something that hit me like a ton of bricks when he said it to me because I never thought, you know, I figured he trusted us that, you know, we're sending you to school, we're putting you in this program, you're going to go on this bus. We, we explained it all to him, but he never was able to tell us that, well, does that man know how, where I live and how to get me home? Because it was a different route that the bus took also. So it's things like that that really you have to work on with them and it's not so easy it's not cut and dry but the more that you're there to be the stability in the home and be there when these things happen the sooner you'll be able to figure them out and help them get through it so clearly at the beginning if you, if it's economically feasible at right. all then you want at least one of the parents to be at home yeah. Almost all the time the children are at home. Yeah, because it, it does, uh, from what I felt and what I saw, from even from other people I've talked to, um, there is such an insecurity in these children. And when they're being put from one place to another, it may seem okay in the beginning. And it also, from what I've learned, too, if they go very easily and they don't feel like they care whether you're there or not, you know, sometimes that's an insecurity for the parents because you don't know where that's stemming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know whether orphanages have changed a lot in the years since I was doing research on that topic. Mm-hmm. It used to be the case that kids raised in orphanages were always dealing with a rotating series of caregivers. There mm-hmm. was never one person you could form an emotional bond with and count on to be there tomorrow and next week and right. next month. Right. And so, who knows? I mean, with all the, all that goes on out there, we don't know. Um, you know, there may be more stable ones, but there also may be a lot of unstable ones. You know, who knows? We're not yeah. out there in that world. And and the people in the orphanages are, are doing their best to provide good quality right. care. Right, absolutely. Um, but there's I, I don't just doubt it. there's nobody who can be a father figure or a mother figure for you because who's around when just changes too often. Right. Right. And that's gotta be very hard on them. I mean, you know, sometimes when we talk now at them being an older age, it's easier to understand it all. But you're like, oh, my God, why didn't I understand that 10 years ago, you know? And you, right. you feel like you've done them a disservice, but you've, communication is key, and you can't always make that happen. But your sense is that your boys and the other kids you've seen in other families are able to bond to their new parents. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are yeah. some that I've heard of that haven't. Um, and, you know, we work on that. Um I've actually partnered with someone in the last few weeks that is working with blood work. It's called SpectraCell, and it looks at the genetics and the neurotransmitters and all the vitamin deficiencies that may be in the person, a child or an elderly person, anybody. Um, but I'm going to try to start introducing that into the adoption world because I think that will give us some keys into certain aspects of 
what goes on in these children's lives. And it may help us with that. Um, I'm told that it, it can help with the bipolar and the reactive attachment disorder and the ADD, ADHD also. So I'm really excited about that. Um, we haven't gotten to work with anybody yet. It's all brand new. The company's been around since the 90s, but it's something new that I'm trying to introduce into the adoption world now. So I'm really hopeful for that. Maybe that can help in a lot of ways. Okay, Gina, we're going to take another break now, and when we come back, we can talk a little more about the kinds of difficulties that kids have to deal with when they get here and and the kinds of difficulties their new parents have to deal with and how to do it successfully. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions, especially in cases of divorce. Far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, I'm talking with Regina Radomsky, who has a a program or a series of programs where she helps adoptive parents before 
before, during, and after the process of actually getting children placed in their home and adopted into their home. She's an elite life coach, and she's a health coach, and a blogger for Empowering Parent. And she's written, From Half to Whole, A Journey to Overcome the Battle Scars of Adoption and Living to Tell About It, which has five-star reviews. Gina, we were talking about kids coming from Europe, having lived in orphanages, and now making a transition into a home where there's a mom, usually a mom and a dad, expecting that these kids are going to become their kids and love them. What are the kids like when they first arrive? Are they all over the place with no order to their behavior? Do they have temper tantrums all the time? Are they withdrawn? What are they like? Yes, um, in my case, that's what it was. Um, they were all over the place. It was very difficult for them to get settled. They were they were used to being outside all the time. So thankfully, we came in April home with them, and they were on their bicycles until you know ten, eleven o'clock at night. We couldn't get them in. I actually lived out in the street, out my door almost all the time because they were so happy to be outside. But during that time period, it was very hard for them to learn how to connect with other children. So my neighbors, thankfully, were wonderful. They were very supportive to us, and they were there for everything. We actually even put a grill in the middle of the street so that we could cook outside because they just wanted to be outside and play. And then we could be there to referee. Um one of the hardest things that I've heard, too, is them blending into the family when there are other children. Now they want to find their place, and they want to fight it out. And I I know I live that, and I know another family that lived that, too. And it was more, because my biological son was older, they wanted to find their place in the home, and they really fought with him literally on my front lawn day after day. And it was heart-wrenching to watch, but we were able to meet with the neighbors and even in the other case, too, the same thing. People came together to try to help them through it, Um, and it worked out. And, you know, it's been fine ever since. But there's a lot of instability that they're dealing with. And like I said before, they don't always know how to communicate it. other things are, you know, school, they, they really didn't know how to act in school. Coming older, coming here older, they had school there, but it was, it must have been a different setting than here. And also, they were more comfortable there because they could speak the language. Now they were here, and they were in a new atmosphere with people they didn't know, and they couldn't speak the language. They didn't want to be made fun of. And so it, it was hard on them. Um, also, there's a transition that I noticed in my family, too, was with the food. They were having a lot of stomach problems, so they were going to the nurse a lot because their stomachs always hurt because now they were eating different food than they were used to. So things like this really, um, you know, take a toll on them. Yeah, that does sound really hard. You just try to be as supportive and be there for them as much as you can to help them through it. You mentioned them physically fighting for a place in the family, or you mentioned fighting for a place in the family, and I'm trying to picture what was going on in your front yard. Are we actually talking fists and kicking? Yeah. And mm-hmm. In my case, yes, that's what it was. It was fists and fighting, and um, and it was just, it was awful to watch, and 
my son was my biological son was nine at the time that they came, and they didn't really believe that he could like them, and that was something that was said at one point when we were in Poland, um, meeting them. They said, "How come he can even like us? I, I can't imagine that he can do that." So you know, they test you. They test him. They tested him, and they tested us on whether we would really keep them. You know, I I think they come from such an in, unstable unstable environment where they feel that anybody can let them go at any moment, and it doesn't matter what they do; they're going to be kicked out anyway. So I might as well be bad. And they so they test you. To the umpteenth and degree to see that you're not going to let them go. You've talked about them actually physically, I think, fighting for a place in the family. So I just want to get some clarification. Your nine-year-old child was willing to endure that to show them that they were indeed going to be welcome in the family? Amazingly enough, yes. You know, he's a special kid. Um he really did a lot to try to make them understand and see that he wanted them. And he was actually my strength through a lot of what I, when I had doubts in the beginning, going through the process, you know, what if this happens and what if that happens? And he would be the, the voice of reason sometimes. It was amazing to me. And, you know, he put up with a lot and he, it always showed them that he was by their side. And it was a wonderful thing. And I'm proud of him for that. And hopefully, you know, everybody has that chance. Every child has that chance to have someone stand by their side, no matter what. Have you worked with other families who already had biological children and then were increasing the size of the family by adopting children? Not to this point, no. I've I've basically worked with parents that are just going from having no children to getting a child. Yeah, that sounds like it might be easier. I'm not sure that Every big brother or big sister in the world would be as heroic as your son was. Right. And, you know, it's funny because I remember this This happened when we got a new animal in the house, and it seems to happen any time we get the new animal in the house, that the the animals that are already in the house and the new one always have to find their place. And I guess it, it really happens to humans, too. You've got to find where you belong in the, in the household. And I know that um, when we were originally starting the adoption process, there was an opportunity to adopt children that were older than my son, and the social worker told me it's not a smart move to change the birth order. And so I'm thinking that might have helped the situation. That sounds like solid advice. Yes. We stuck with it. (laughs) You've mentioned that there can be a lot of unknowns when you adopt a child from another country. You don't really know their full history, and they might have health problems that you don't know about. And in addition to the language barrier, there might be uh, mental health issues or right. attention problems. Right. Can you say a little more about that? Sure. Um, there's, you know, every country has different rules on how they they allow things, you know, levels of toxins and things like that. Um, and you're not going to know that, and you're not going to know how to deal with it. Um, there's no real way, way to tell. Um, what I've done in my life is I've done hair tests, and I found out that my one son was toxic with lead. So we detoxed him, and, you know, those things can lead to all these different problems. And, 
now, like I said before, um, I'm partnering with someone, a nutritionist, that will be doing these types of blood work. The blood work's been around for a long time, and we're going to introduce that, and I'm hoping to find some real results with that because this way the children won't be put into a cookie-cutter diagnosis and a cookie-cutter pill and that type of stuff, and we'll be able to work with them more individualized and come up with, you know, exactly what they're deficient in, be able to put that back in their body or whatever there's too much of, we'll be able to detox. Um, because it's a real struggle for families and for the children themselves. You know, no one, they're not meaning to act this way. They don't want to act this way. And so if we can give them another tool to make life easier, it would be great. Um, you know, the trauma itself is so much to deal with. So if there's anything else that you can do to help them in other ways. I think it's just a positive for everyone. So you mentioned trauma again, Mm -hmm. and I know that being removed from the only kind of life you've ever known and brought across an ocean and placed Mm -hmm. in a new family, it's it's a complete change of your world. That's pretty traumatic. Right. Are there other traumatic things in the history of these kids that you know about? Not just your kids, but kids in general who are um, in an adoption process. Well, you know, they they learn to deal with things differently. They're not going to deal with it like the normal child who's in a stable home. So they will shut down. Say say you you know you, they've done something and you're yelling at them. They will just shut down and not even respond because in their mind they're going to a safe place because they don't know what's coming. And you have to really learn to work with them to get them out of that safe place into their own safe place in their real world. And that's a lot of work. And, you know, it takes a long time. Um, Even for, like, reactive attachment disorder, what I've learned from others is that, you know, you bring them into you when when they've done something wrong so that they can feel your love because at times they're not, treating you any different than a stranger because they they have no um, attachment to you. They could care less. And so by you bringing them in to you and talking to you and hugging, uh, talking to them and hugging them, you're able to start breaking that barrier and showing them that you're the safe haven. But all these things take so much time. You've mentioned reactive attachment disorder a couple of times. I'm mm-hmm. guessing that we have a lot of listeners who don't really know what that means. Can you give a definition? Sure. Um, it's really, from what I'm understanding of it, I didn't deal with it, but what I'm understanding of it is you can be in a room with five other people and your child will not come to you and act differently towards you in a loving way than they would at to anyone else in the room. So, you know, when you drop them off at school, they're not crying and holding on to you and saying, oh, mommy, 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 don't let me go. They could care less. And, and this is what I've learned about it. I mean, I'm not an expert in it by any means, but that's what I've learned that there's really no more feeling towards you than anybody else. And so that's very hard for the family. And this is what I've read from one woman that went through it, that that's what she did. She was bringing the child into her and hugging her and treating her in different ways. And then she was starting to break her out of it. 
And how many months or years did it take for the child to begin to believe that this person who was hugging her was really a parent she could count on, somebody who would stay with her and care for her? It took a long time. It was it was at least a year, I think, if I'm not mistaken, before that cycle was starting to break. That sounds consistent with what I've known before mm-hmm. about the difficulty for a young child. What's normal is that in infancy, you form attachment bonds to your parents, maybe your grandparents, maybe a right. special neighbor or a babysitter. But normally it happens in infancy. And right. if it doesn't happen in infancy, it's much harder to make it happen later and make the child believe in it. Mm-hmm. Right. But you've, you've got success stories. Yes, yes. You know, and I know that... Um, I've even said this to my younger son. We didn't bond instantly. There wasn't reactive attachment disorder, but we didn't bond. We we were always at odds, him and I. And one day we just looked at each other and we said something. And I said, you know what? We can't fault anything because it's nobody's fault that this happened. We're just lucky that we stuck with it and we're able to now all these years later know that we care about each other, and we've known that all along, but we always haven't been able to show it. But it's no one's fault, and all we can do and anyone can do is keep trying because eventually one day it probably will happen, and we're lucky that it's happened, and now we, we get along great. And, you know, people may think because I have a biological son that these children aren't treated the same way, it's, it, and that's not the truth. It's just there's a there's difference. Every child is different that you have in your family, whether it's biological or adoptive, and you're going to have a different relationship with each of them. But in these adoption situations, there's there's extren, extenuating circumstances that come about, and all you can do is try. and And that's what I say to everybody: is just do your best. If you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and said, "I tried, and I really did my best." It's going to show somewhere along the line to this child that you are the person that's going to never leave. We have just a short time left, maybe less than a minute. Is there anything else specific that you would really like to let the listeners know about? Well, if anyone finds what I've talked about interesting, you can go to my website at reginaradomsky.com. That's R-A-D-O-M as in Mary, S-K-I. And on there, you'll find all these things. You'll find the programs that I have. You'll find um, information about my book, and you'll find the nutritional supplementation and the blood work that I'm talking about on here. And, you know, I would love to connect with anybody that I can help. Uh, We also do cooking classes so that you can teach. We're going to start doing them over Skype so we can teach people quick meals to get you to the dinner table also. So I'm very excited about what I'm doing, and I'm hoping that I can share that with more people. Have you learned to cook Polish dishes for your kids? Oh, no, I'm Italian. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the kids just have to adjust there. (laughs) Yes, I have to adjust in my house. I've okay. tried Polish. I could do certain things, kielbasa, pierogies, but after that, it doesn't work in my world. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. Regina Radomski, author of From Half to Whole, A Journey to Overcome the Battle Scars of Adoption and Living to Tell About It. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a good day. 
Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.